What's up, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Separation is in the Preparation podcast. Today, it's my absolute pleasure to be joined by Ben Dobmeyer. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Really, really good. It's so, so great to have you here. Uh, so to start, could we kind of have you introduce yourself a little bit to the listener and uh, talk about what you've just finished doing, what you're doing now, and then maybe a little bit about uh, what you're kind of working towards in the future. Yeah, man, of course. It's uh, it's an honor to be on here. Thank you for interviewing me. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so currently, I'm a ski instructor in Park City. Uh, I've been doing that for about two months now. Um, continuing my legacy of teaching stuff to kids is basically what I've been doing my whole life. Um, before this, I was down in southern Utah in St. George. That's where I was based and I was doing something called uh, wilderness therapy or outdoor behavioral health care um, and currently planning on going to grad school in 2022 um, in some area of psychology. I think probably want to end up being a psychologist therapist for adolescents uh, in that age range. So most likely a master's degree in social work, and then we'll go from there. So that's, that's the plan. To me, that sounds like a very good plan. Um, <laughs> and to the listener, right, there's lots to cover there. It's, with Ben, we could probably do two or three different podcasts just based on his own um, diverse groupings of experiences. But the thing I'm curious about learning about today is his stint working as a wilderness therapist. So to the layperson, the listener, and really myself, can you talk a little bit more in depth about what um, outdoor behavioral healthcare actually is? For sure, yeah. It's actually, it's not too well known around, you know, the world mm -hmm. so far. It's a relatively new field of therapy and psychology. Um, and it's actually having a ton of really positive effects and people are just starting to do research on it now. So it's my pleasure to bring some more awareness to it. Basically what it is, it's a form of intensive therapy. So kids from 13 to 18 will come out into the desert, the forest desert, I guess the technical description of it. Yeah. The desert in your case. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, and they'll go out there for, anywhere from three to five months and they'll stay out there and they'll be backpacking every day going from campsite to campsite. Um, and so what I did was I was a staff in the field with them. So I'd go out for eight days at a time and I would just live with them out there, do therapy, do survival skills, just live in the wilderness, um, talk to them about my own experiences, about their experiences. And, um, yeah, they spend three to five months out there in intensive therapy. The therapists come out once a week for one or two days and they get about an hour and a half, two hour session with them. And the rest of the time, it's just us and them surviving and doing generally what the therapist wanted us to do. Um, and the outcome research so far has been extremely positive. It, uh, it has a really strong effect on kids who are in a really tough place with their family or with substances or depression or you know, what have you. So it's a pretty exciting area of psychology to be in right now. Yeah, it definitely 
it definitely seems seems that way to me just uh, the little bit that I've had the chance to learn about it. Um, one thing I'm curious about for the kids who end up participating in programs like this, is it like where you're referred by your sort of private practitioner or is it kind of on the family to make that individual choice for their child if they feel like it's the, it's the right thing? Yeah, so it's, it's actually a pretty wide range of ways people get there. Um, one way is the family decides, like, we, we don't know what to do. We're kind of out of options here. And they, they send their kid out here to, or out there to do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, another option is there's ed, thing, people called ed consultants who basically work with the family and decide where they think the kid would best fit and where it would help them the most and so they they recommend like a residential program or they recommend a wilderness or you know whatever they think is best and some kids get sent from the residential program they get like kicked out or expelled and then they come to wilderness before as like a prerequisite for re-entering their residential some kids are like court ordered to do something along this line so like they come from juvie um so yeah pretty wide range of stuff um some of them come like their parents drive them out there some of them get picked up at like 4 a.m in their houses and are just like brought here against their will um so yeah we can talk more about that in a bit but it's pretty intense when they first show up and for the first few weeks it's just like a huge shock as you can probably imagine yes absolutely so you'd say like this is on the more sort of serious like the mo- almost the most serious in terms of um, sort of interventions on that spectrum, would you say? Yeah, it's definitely on the more serious end, I'd say. So if you get, generally when you get kicked out of wilderness, which I only saw happen one time in a year and a half while I was there, uh, the, the next step is usually some sort of lockdown in that scenario, okay. um, which is a more controlled environment because you know our environment while it is a very intense therapy therapeutic environment we don't have very much control over our environment so if there's a kid who's extremely violent or actively suicidal um like like persistently then they need to be somewhere where they can you know be more controlled yeah. Uh, unfortunately and so we just don't have the capacity to deal with that kind of stuff in our program but yeah it is generally a big step for people to send their kids away into the wilderness for three to five months so definitely more intense than a, a lot of residentials and stuff and like outpatient programs stuff like that definitely yeah. and i mean an intense experience for the kid but also i imagine a really really intense experience for you um over kind of that year and a half you spent working there so i'm curious what drew you uh to working in uh working as a wilderness therapist yeah that's a good question um i think a lot of stuff in my life almost everything i did kind of led me to that um the first thing that comes to mind is i think generally friends feel comfortable just talking to me about stuff so I've had a lot of experience just and I'm and as we all have but a lot of experience talking about you know just problems and talking to people and being vulnerable with people and having people be vulnerable with you and that's just like a huge part of my life that's really important to me um and you know that led to all the rest of the stuff I did I was a um you know psychology major and 
did a bunch of other stuff. Um, but yeah, that's the baseline is just, you know, interfacing with people and being social. Um, from there, I, I was a camp counselor for five years, working with kids, teaching them stuff. Um, I was a soccer coach. Um, you know, I did yeah, a lot of stuff in the community, like volunteering with kids. Um, I, in college, I studied psychology, so that was my major, which also, you know, they don't teach anything about this. I didn't even know this existed until right. like the end of senior year. And I went to my professor, I was like, I looked, I found this, like, what do you know about it? He's like, I don't know anything. He like literally wow. looked up papers while we were in the room and he's like, there's very little research on this. So yeah, I picked a program that was, that had PhDs that were doing research on the program. I, I met him, his name's uh, Matt Hogue. He's the PhD at Evoke where I worked um, and he does outcome research and, you know, it, it felt a lot more like best practice to me. So that's why I went there. Um, I also in college was a peer counselor. Uh, so I was on duty for 48 hours at a time, um, a number of times throughout each semester. Uh, I got trained for like 150 hours, something like that, maybe more, I'm not sure, on a variety of just issues and reflective listening and asking questions. Um, I dealt with, you know, pretty intense stuff. I had to call the police once on somebody. Um, so yeah, it just exposed me to a whole lot of the mental health side of things and how many people were actually struggling beneath, you know, a facade. Um, and then I think the, the biggest thing, uh, was my own experience with anxiety. I've had that for my whole life, pretty much. I, I've only really come to terms with it, like while I was doing this job, this wilderness job. Um, and I've come to really understand it now. It's a continuing process that will continue for the rest of my life. But yeah, my own experience with mental health and talking to so many other people who experienced it, it all kind of made sense. Um, and then I've done a lot of backpacking and outdoor stuff. So combining those two things just felt kind of perfect for me to do after college. And that's where it went. Definitely. No, it's, it's super interesting and cool for me to hear how you found this role that was an intersection, both of what you like to do recreationally, right? Outdoor things and stuff like that, but also a real calling to you just based on the way that you interact and your own experiences and kind of on that interaction piece, you mentioned that you had just naturally found yourself in a role where people felt comfortable being vulnerable. Um, and I imagine even though, even as you said a little bit yourself, like a lot of that comes from being willing to be vulnerable yourself right you to, to receive you kind of have to give mm -hmm. so to the extent that you're comfortable about can you talk a little bit about that sort of opening yourself up to vulnerability to that process because i think it's something that young people but young men in general really um at times struggle with yeah that's i think a really important question um yeah i guess i'll just like tell a little bit of my story um so in high school is when it it started manifesting to where I could notice it, the anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, it was related to a health crisis with my dad. Uh, I just kind of popped up around then and it got worse and worse as the years went past. So there were times where I'd be like in a conversation and I would just like kind of black out, like I would still be there, but I just wouldn't remember the last five minutes of the conversation. Um, so I thought I was going 
insane and like i didn't want to tell anyone because i was freaking out and yeah. i don't know i thought they would put me in like a mental hospital or something i don't know i was just who kind knows of, right yeah yeah spiraling really at that point yeah and i actually like i didn't know what to do i went and talked to the school counselor once and they were like sounds like you know generalized anxiety disorder and i was like okay cool <laughs> thanks for that uh, they were like, you should see a therapist. So I was like, no, nah. I'd have to tell my parents and my friends would find out and like, there's no way. So I just kind of dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my soccer coach, our soccer coach, actually, um, one of our assistant coaches who, who left college to come teach us, he taught us how to meditate before a game. And that kind of, after I did that, it just had this crazy effect on me of just like clarifying everything around me. Um, I don't really know how to describe it, but it felt like I could think and I could be in the present for the first time in like a few years. Wow. So I just started doing that a lot as basically symptom management. Um, but I still wasn't talking about it. And so like I could manage the symptoms. I could deal with the anxiety when it came up kind of, and like when my life was going well, I could be fine. But then when bad things happened, it would kind of spiral and the meditation wouldn't be enough. And so it was, it wasn't until, I did this job and we did therapeutic groups and I actually started being like, this is my experience. Like, this is what has happened to me and like what I've done and how I've felt. And I was saying this to like the kids in the program and my other staff and um, it just kind of opened up this like floodgate. And I realized I'd been just kind of ignoring everything that I could and just kind of getting by without actually knowing what was going on. And so that vulnerability is what has allowed me to understand myself, you know, 10 times more than I ever have before. Um, And I think before that, like I wasn't vulnerable when people were, were talking to me. Like I generally don't think I reciprocated that much. I think it was just, I, my non, like I wasn't judgmental of those people who were talking to me. I think it was a non-judgmental approach, which is something I talk about in therapy. Um, I think that was what drew people to being able to tell me stuff. Um, But yeah, vulnerability is incredibly hard for especially males in our society right now. And it's so important. Like there's no way to like, we're, we're meant to talk to other people about our stuff and deal with it in that way. And so that's, that was a big discovery for me. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I can sort of attest personally to your like incredible ability to approach other people's experiences from a position of non judgment. Right. And I think um, it's true. It makes you really, really, really easy to communicate with and talk to about and share things with. But I think what I kind of hear is you sort of were able to through meditation, through participating as a leader in these wilderness therapy sessions, you were able to kind of come to a place where you could look at yourself from a position of non-judgment. And I think another word that stands out to me when I listen to you talk is narrative, right? What's the story that you're telling yourself about yourself, right? And if you're coming from that, coming to that from a position of judgment, then oftentimes you're going to be telling a story that is not a great one and not a true one. Um, so not so much of a question there, just more of a statement, but no, I think that was, yeah, that was right on. Okay, good. The other thing that I wanted to touch on, and this is kind of a big topic, but 
you mentioned sort of your own experience feeling like you didn't want to seek out help to a point where it would expose your issues to people in your social circle, to your family, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, do you think like, because you, it really, it came, this came to me when you talked about your experience speaking to the counselor at your school and then their recommendations, do you feel like knowing what you know now, there was a better way that they could have helped you? Um, if maybe they had like those misgivings that you might have in the back of their mind? Mm, that's a really good question. I, I honestly think the counselor who I talked to did as much as she could have done. Um, this was kind of my, like, I was just basically dipping my toe in the water. Like I'm mm. kind of freaking out, like, what could this be? And like the fact that she told me it was anxiety and I could research that was super helpful. I could put a name to like, I mean, the, the label doesn't tell you the whole story, obviously, but it, I at least had a general idea of what was going on and that I wasn't going crazy. Um, so she helped me as much as she could have done. And you can't force anyone to go to therapy for the most part. Um, so yeah, I, I think she did, she did a great job with what she, the resources she had. I think in general, it's destigmatizing you know, having emotions. Cause I think the reason why I didn't want to go to anyone is that I had a reputation of just being like easygoing, like whatever, I'm just going to do my thing. And letting people realize that I was just constantly freaking out was really terrifying to me. Cause it felt like it would, it goes against what all my friends thought of me, but it doesn't, you know, like I can still be that person and also be, have that anxiety. And I think it's just like a societal perspective shift that needs to happen of where like I can like this anxiety is not or this depression or whatever is going on this anger is not a defining quality it's something that I deal with and it is something that if you know understood and learned about and talked about can actually become a strength Um, and I think my anxiety helps me in a lot of ways in my life with like you know I notice a lot of details and it helped me with my empathy for people who are going through similar things and I'm grateful to it now now that I understand it I used to be terrified and hate it and just you know bringing that out in the open and teaching people before they get to that point that like yeah you're allowed to feel this thing you're allowed to feel whatever you feel you know you can't control that so I don't know if that made sense but no absolutely Cool. And I just have to say, like, one, I'm like really honored that you would feel comfortable to share your share your personal story. And I'm also just so, so impressed with your ability to having gone through that difficult period yourself to kind of take it on yourself as as like I need to kind of pay this forward and help other people um, get in touch with what they need to get in touch with before they reach the point where I was at. Um you talked about this idea of having an idea of who you are and having an idea of the idea that other people yeah. have of who you are and this i and this idea right and the fact that you have a quality or something you're going through that maybe goes against that i think it's something that people really struggle with right i think you're the psychologist so i don't want to go and use psychology terms but like the idea of like cognitive dissonance right like yeah, that's exactly acting, the word yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Nailed it. Right yeah. on. Um, is is can be so so challenging. But I really loved what you said about 
when you realize that what you're going through is not one, a defining quality of who you are, and you take the steps to understand it, you can turn it into a strength. Um, I think it's one thing that I never even considered, but something that's really, really valuable to the listener. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Um, so I guess now we can kind of transition a little bit into your actual sort of working experience. Sure. Um, and in the theme of this podcast, I'm curious, like, what was the preparation like um, personally, and then what your sort of employer put you through before you actually began working with patients um, in the field? Yeah. So, you know, beyond, so I did, I mean, I did the interview process. I did an application phone interview, and then they bring you out into the desert and you do a seven day orientation slash interview. So you're not guaranteed the job until you finish those seven days. Um, and it's basically just like a crash course in everything that you're going to be doing and teaching and learning. And, um, it's super intense and emotional. You're, you're asked to be really vulnerable with people you've just met because that's what we're asking the students to do. Mm-hmm. So like you're, you're asked to basically tell your whole life story to strangers. Um, and, you know, I got really close to the people I was out there with. Um, and yeah, they, they teach you, you know, all the, we have a lot of really specific, important rules. Yeah. I mean, just listening to you kind of talk about that sort of gauntlet that you have to put yourself through. Um, it really sounds intense. And I kind of wonder in that process, would, was there ever any doubt on your part being like, whoa, like this is more than I signed up for both like in the, just in the training period. And then once you actually became a full employee, were there ever like, like, I don't know if this is the right thing for me, or I don't know if this is just too hard. Yeah. Uh, Certainly. And that continued the entire time I was doing the job, you know, up until, you know, I felt a lot more in control after like nine or 10 months, probably, but up until then, just countless moments of doubt, like, can I do this? You know, do I even want to do this? Um, A lot of it comes from the, the worst case experiences, like the worst case scenarios that you hear about, because you need to hear about them before you go into this job or else you're going to be surprised by them. So they'll tell you stories of, you know, a lot of pretty wild stuff happening that you need to be able to like get through calmly and, you know, make snap decisions that could have like pretty huge ramifications for people and their, their safety. So yeah, just, it was a lot of, you know, doubting my ability to do that and make those decisions and a lot of distrust, like, should I be the one making these calls? Am I, am I qualified for that? Um, and you know, I wasn't when I started and that's why I wasn't, you know, a senior, which is like a leader of a group. Um, so yeah, pretty much constant, (laughs) pretty much constant, I would say. Um, and it's just all about taking that next step, I guess is how I describe it. And I'm so glad that I kept taking those steps until the end. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of what I hear you describing is this sort of incremental process of working through um, some really challenging emotions, both just like some of those situations sound just really scary, right? So working through some fear and then also some sort of self-doubt and questioning whether or not this is the right fit or you're the right person. And 
what I really liked about how you described your experience was never did you expect those feelings to just disappear one morning, right? I think you understood that this was something that you kind of had to work yourself through step by step incrementally, um, which is so, so much um, harder to do than just talk about it, right? Um, I think so. The, your ability to execute, execute that um, is really admirable. But I just think regardless of whether you're the most confident person or the least confident person working at this program, it just is mentally draining from my perspective, right? Yeah. You talked about always having to be aware of the people you're working with um, and trying to serve. So I guess, how would you try and like give yourself time to recover um, during your, during when you're at home in St. George during your, during your weeks off as a means of like preparing yourself to return to this environment where you had to be like switched on almost a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So the, the off shift was all about recovery, as you were saying. Um, recovery means sleep. A lot of the time you get out of the field and you just pass out for like an entire day. Like I, like I'd get out Tuesday night and I often wouldn't do a single thing on Wednesday. I'd wake up at like 2 p.m. Um, just because your brain is turned fully on for eight days and it just wants to go off and it needs to, to, yeah. to be at 100%. Um, so a lot of, after that, you know, rest period, it would be a lot of sports and exercise because that's that's what kind of grounds me and that's what makes me happy. So we'd play like spike ball, soccer, volleyball, everything we could get our hands on, go hiking, go camping without you know, the responsibilities we had camping and in the job. Um, and I think for me, it was a lot of constant self-monitoring. So it was like, what, how am I doing right now? Like, am I, am I doing well? Am I doing, am I anxious? Am I sad? Am I angry? It just whatever was going on for me, just being able to name that and getting quicker and quicker at recognizing it. So, you know, like with my, my main issue was anxiety and it would often take me like a year or two to realize I was anxious. And by then it would be like, you know, pretty bad. So it was just a constant struggle of how quickly can I recognize how I'm feeling and then just accept it. And the hard part is you can't do anything about what you're feeling. It's just, it's just how you react to it. Basically. It's like, you can be, you can say, Oh, I'm anxious. So therefore, you know, I suck or whatever you want to throw in there. It's, um, I'm incapable whatever I'm incompetent, or you can say I'm anxious. And my reaction to that is going to be to fully accept that I'm anxious and just be okay with that and continue living my life. So it's just, it's this acceptance, this it's called radical acceptance. What a lot of people call it but it's just full acceptance of anything you're feeling because, you know, in reality, we can't control our emotions. We can only control how we react to them. So for me, it was a lot of that. And that would translate that skill translated into the field for me where I'd go out in the field and I'd have to know very quickly if I was in a place to be doing what I needed to do. And if I yeah. wasn't in that place, how to get myself there or how to remove myself from the situation and take a break and get myself there. Cause if I wasn't there, it was dangerous, you know? So, yeah, no, again, yeah. I think when you, when I hear you talk about this idea of radical acceptance in my mind, I'm drawing a lot of parallels, um, with this sort of just broader idea of 
approaching yourself in situations with this with this attitude of non-judgment, right? Can I see things for what they are? Try to be as objective as I can in terms of analyzing them and perceiving them. And then regardless of what I perceive or analyze, be it positive or negative, just to acknowledge it as what it is, but then to not let the acknowledgement of it um, lead to a spiral of um, continued negative yeah, emotions. Exactly. So in the field, I imagine you're working obviously really closely with yourself, right? This It's so cool to hear how this process of self-monitoring paid dividends to you actually working in the field, but you're also working really closely with um, the other counselors. Can you talk a little bit about the I guess, intense and intricate collaboration that you guys had to kind of execute while, uh, while working together. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a big, big job. Um, especially once after six months, I was a senior staff. So I was in charge of groups and in charge of managing my staff team. Um, and yeah, that could be really intense. Um, it was a lot of planning that went into it beforehand. So who would be doing which jobs? How do people, you know, like to do certain things? Um, who wants to take care of what during meal times? Meal times are a really intense part of the day because a lot of stuff is happening. So, and then pre preparation for emergencies. So who's going to be doing what if this goes wrong? It's just a lot of contingency planning. So if this goes wrong, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And it's just mm -hmm. like, we try to make it as exhaustive as possible to, you know, make us as prepared for anything as possible, which obviously is not realistic. You can't be prepared for anything, but right. for as many varieties of situations as you can be. Um, and then it was managing, like a lot of what I did as a senior was keep an eye on my staff members who maybe were newer or, you know, had had a tough off shift or were going through personal things. And when I would notice, you know, a mood shift, I would all, it, it's called a staff up. You just, you call them over to you and you go either away from camp and talk, or you like whisper near camp if you need to be awareness or you need to like be looking at the kids. Um, and you just be like, what's going on? Like, are you okay? Um, and often that was all it took was someone to just acknowledge them and them to vent a little bit. Um, even if it was about like a co-staff or often it was about one of the students. Um, but yeah, just being vigilant and, and you, you have to be able to be vigilant. Like obviously the students are a priority. You have to constantly have them, you know, rotating through your mind. Like, are they all okay? Is one of them going to do something? Are they all here? Um, and that sort of has to be like a constant process. And then once you get that down, you can move up to keep an eye on your staff team and managing that dynamic. And so, yeah, that, that was mostly what we did. Um, and then I made it a priority to try to train staff and anything I thought would help them and, and to have them train me in whatever they knew better than I did, which usually was the case. Um, there's, I mean, always, there's always something that somebody does better than you. So always an opportunity to learn from them. Yeah. I don't know if that fully answered the question, but. It definitely I mean, did. Okay, I mean, cool. what I hear you describing there is like, honestly, the ultimate leadership role, right? to manage some people who are extremely vulnerable um, in terms of the kids. And then also to lead a group of staff members 
who are exposing themselves to extreme vulnerability as they work through the challenges that they face. Um, So it's really cool to hear you talk about yourself as a leader and as a teacher, right? But then also to frame yourself as a learner too, because I think that's one of your qualities that led you to a lot of success in that role and will continue to, to bear fruit to you for the rest of your life is your ability to, just as you said, to acknowledge that there's always something I can learn. There's always somebody who can teach me more things. So again, more just me, I guess, complimenting you and pumping your tires a little bit, Um, but it's awesome, but it's so, so awesome. And I guess you talked a little bit about the reactions that some staff members sometimes had to work on controlling when it came to working with the individual kids. And I'm curious, like when you were dealing with individual kids, like how did you try and alter your approach to cater to the individual's needs while still operating within the framework that was their safety, your staff member's safety, your own personal safety and the safety of, uh, of the other kids. Yeah. So I think the number one thing here is it's something called rapport, um, which basically in how I categorize it is trust. And so in order to, to really make any progress out there, the kids need to trust you to a certain degree. So maybe not trust you with their life, you know, but at least trust that you have their best intentions in mind and you're trying your best to help them. Um, and they also, another side of that is they need to trust that you don't think you're better than them because that can be a mindset we fall into because we're older and, you know, we're not in this program ourselves, but there's no better or worse in people. It's just different. And mm-hmm. it's a journey alongside them, not, not leading them. You're, you're guiding from the side, not leading from the front is how I like to describe it. Um, and if they, if they perceive that you are like teaching them or, or telling them the right answer, then they're not going to learn from you and they're not going to trust you. And so it's all about establishing that like, Hey, we're on this journey together. I'm going to try to offer you, some of my experience and maybe you can offer me some of yours as well. And we're going to work together on this. Um, And once they, once you've built that trust and that comes with just constant honesty and sometimes honesty is really hard to, to say to people because it will trigger them or, you know, you know, something you're about to say to someone is going to make them angry, but in the Mm -hmm. long run, it'll make them trust you more. So Mm -hmm. just constant honesty and then empathy are what I think honesty and empathy are what builds that rapport eventually. And then once you have that rapport, you can start, you know, digging into what's going on and asking about their life and they'll start telling you things. That's just always a really important moment when they like trust you enough to say things to you or share things. Um, so yeah, I have a couple examples. Is it cool if I share? Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Awesome. So yeah, I thought that would be cool to hear. Um, So there's this kid I've been working with for, you know, a few weeks. It often takes four, five, six, seven weeks for them to trust you enough to make something happen, you know? And so this kid was struggling with anger. um, And I don't even remember what happened. Just something set him off. And so he started storming around camp and like smashing stuff and, and screaming and saying, you know, F this place, like F this program. And I you know, had known him for a while. And what I decided to do in that moment was match him, which is like a technique that you 
want to be super careful with. But what I did was I just stomped around with him and started breaking stuff and like saying oh. F this place. Like, yeah, this place sucks. Like it's, it sucks out here. Cause like a lot of the time it does, it's really hard out there. And he looked at me and he's like, like, are you kidding? Like, are you serious? Like he didn't say it in that nice of words, but he said that. <laughs> and I was like, I, I fully agree with you. Like at times this place is the worst and it sucks out here. And he was like, what like what are you he just was so confused that i would be like screaming and breaking stuff and you know mm -hmm. like snapping tree mm -hmm. branches or whatever and he calmed down and he was like yeah it does suck out here like why why are you letting why are you saying that like why are you admitting that and i'm like i i would never say it doesn't it's hard out here it's impossible it's like almost impossible to get through some of this stuff sometimes but like check out what you just did dude like instead of attacking a staff or another student you just broke some trees, right? And he was like, oh, I guess like that's progress. Cause you know, he was like feeling so much shame for his anger reaction. Cause I knew that from, you know, that rapport I built with him. I was like, yeah, you got angry, but look what you did instead of what you did last time, you know? Um, so like framing it in a more positive way, matching that kind of stuff. Yeah. All comes from like, I wouldn't have felt confident doing any of that stuff if I hadn't built that you know, weeks of rapport. Um, other times someone will be just like sobbing and you have enough rapport to just sit down next to them and not say a word. And that's enough to, and then they'll just start talking. It, you could even sit there for like 45 minutes and then they'll just start talking. And so it's, you just have to know like what reaction you want to have to what someone's doing and what's going to get them to open up or see a new side of things or, yeah and so uh, my yeah my second more in-depth example if we have time for that yeah please please cool. um so there's this guy who had um some serious trauma in his past um and his reaction to that was was anger um and so he would go into these states where he just was he, he was totally irrational and you couldn't really talk to him at all um, and he would be like threatening people and, you know, all the, all the anger stuff. And I, at one point I, I pulled him aside and he was, you know, in that place. And after working with him for six weeks and talking to him for that long, I was like, you're not mad right now. And he was like, like the, the F are you talking about? Like, just like cussing me out for like five minutes. And I was like, dude, you are terrified right now like this is this is your trauma response like you are not mad you're terrified and then he just started crying and so it's like just the most powerful moment probably of the whole job for me and yeah it just was like because i i was able to like intuit that or guess that from what we talked about before it, it like totally broke him out of that trauma that trauma mindset and he was able to like you know understand a little bit more about what was going on and that's something that you could never do unless you had that trust with him and he knew that you weren't you know trying to hurt him or say something that would like that he knew that I had his best interests at heart basically yeah and so that's something that takes a lot of time and practice and something I did wrong many times before I started figuring it out a little bit more and you're going to, you're going to do it wrong until eventually you do it right. You know, even with the same kid, like you do it wrong a few times and then you 
apologize and take accountability. And then, you know, that builds that trust even more because you tried something at least, you know? So yeah, that's a big one for me. That, yeah. that question. Those are, those are two incredibly powerful, um, incredibly powerful stories. So, so thank you for sharing them. Um, yeah, I mean, they speak for themselves, so I'm not even going to try and <laughs> add my own two cents. Uh, but I guess I'm sure there are people listening to this and even in the face of like the immense challenges and just difficulties you had to face with this process, I'm sure there are people out there thinking like, you know, this is a way that I feel maybe I could make a difference. So I'm really interested to hear like, what would your advice be? Um, for someone who's kind of considering getting involved or, or working in this field in, in some capacity? Yeah. Um, yeah. My advice would be before you do it, really dig into why you're doing it. So I, you know, I've seen people do it for reasons that didn't set them up for success. Like reasons like, you know, I know the truth and I'm going to go tell people it. And I'm, I want to, like they, they come at it from a benevolent perspective. Like I want to help people, but it's, it's that like, I'm going to lead you from in front or I'm going to lead you from above. And it leads to like this power struggle where people, if people don't do what you tell them to do, then you feel like you're failing and you feel like that, like you get mad at them. You feel like they're not listening or, and it just leads to the self-destructive journey. And so, you know, if you're going in the, into this with the, with the, you know, wanting to help people is, is great. And I think wanting to help people, there's a way to help people that's more effective and, and will help you last longer in this job. And that's, that's by learning with them or, you know, exchanging information rather than like, I'm smarter. I know more than you. I'm going to tell you what to do. And if you don't do it, then you then you know whatever you're not gonna help yourself um other advice is just it's gonna you know it's gonna hit you pretty deep at times um i guess an, an example of that is uh when i was working in some of the female groups um just like my presence was enough to send people into trauma reactions like really intense like yeah, I won't go into detail, but just stuff that would happen just by me showing my face in the group because of experiences with males that look like me in the past. So like being the source of that, being the cause of that in that moment is incredibly difficult and, and heartbreaking because it's like, you know, if I wasn't here, that wouldn't have happened. And you, my advice to you would be it's, it's what we call healthy detachment. It's that I'm, I'm out here and I care about you and I want to, I want you to be better. And if you don't get better, or if, if you don't, you know, do what I think is better, I'm still going to be okay and be able to function and be able to care about you and not judge you um, and not judge myself. And so it's this like weird thing where you feel like you're hurting people sometimes like, you know, I'll reach down to pick something up too quickly and it will just set, you know, like three people off. And it's just like, yeah, it just hits really deep. It's like, I'm the source of this, all this pain. 
um, and you have to be able to to care and try your best to not not do that and also realize that you you know you you have to be there and you have to keep doing what you're doing because you know that's that's your job and that's what's gonna end up being important in the end um yeah i mean it's it's by far the most rewarding thing i've ever done um and also the most difficult and painful thing um so be sure what you're getting into and be sure you're getting into it for the right reasons is my advice um or for even not the right reasons, but reasons that are important to you, like reasons that are going to get you through the times that you've, you don't, you're not having a good time. Yeah. Basically to sum it up. Yeah. So, yeah. That's incredible advice. I mean, I think kind of an overarching theme that you've talked about throughout this, throughout our time together has been this idea of one non-judgment of others, non-judgment of situations and non-judgment of yourself. Um, and to kind of hear you talk about those situations where you had to employ that both as a means of helping s- students and kids, but also helping yourself when you felt like you were the source of the trauma um, is really, really incredible uh, to learn about. And then the other thing that um, I think re- has really, really resonated with me from listening to you speak is this this idea of there's no superiority. I think you called it leading from the leading from alongside versus leading from the front Um, that you and the kid are partners in this process. And this process is, is helping them be healthy, right? Helping them, helping them through what they're going through. And I think your ability to explain, um, express extreme humility in these situations, right? You've gone through intense situations. You've gone through rigorous training, but you're willing to say, look, no, we're on the same level. I'm just here to help you. And you are in turn helping me, right? As we work as collaborators. Again, I think like, yeah, I just say, but it's just extreme humility. And it's really, really, um, it's really, really inspiring to hear you talk about. So again, I think even with that, awesome advice you gave. I'm sure there'll be people with more specific questions or just who are curious about the process and how you got involved. Is there a way that you're comfortable with people uh, reaching out to you to, to ask more? Yeah, for sure. Um, feel free to follow my Instagram. It's just uh, one word, Ben Dobmeyer, which is B-E-N-D-O-B-M-E-I-E-R. And just go ahead and follow that and send me a message uh, and I'll be sure to answer. I, I really want to spread awareness for this, this field and this work that people are doing. And I think everyone in the world should experience something like this and learn the things that I've had the opportunity to learn and think about. And yeah, I, I would, as much as I made it sound <laughs> incredibly hard and it is, it's still, I'm more glad that I did this than I've done anything else in my life. So yeah, feel free to reach out with anything. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure people will take you up on that. So just from me, I mean, I think, thank you so much for sharing your story, um, sharing your, your struggles, your successes. Um, There's been so much just for me personally that I've learned and we'll learn as I re-listen to this. Um, And I know that's going to be true for the listener. So Ben, it's been an honor. Thank you, man. 
Thanks, man. It's, it was my pleasure being on here. It was, yeah, topic that's really close to my heart. And it's been really powerful to be able to sum it up and talk about it like this. So, And there's so much stuff I, you know, didn't get to cover today. And, and I would love to talk to anyone who wants to talk about it. It's just, yeah, it's so important to me. And I appreciate the opportunity to share what I've been able to share. So thanks, Wallace. Of course, man. You're welcome. You're welcome back anytime. Right on. Love you, buddy. Love you, too. All right, pal. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Separation is in the Preparation podcast. If you found it valuable, please do what you can to share it with others. As always, you can connect with us on Instagram at the Sep is in the Prep, or if you'd like to reach out to me directly, I can be found on all social media platforms under the handle at Wallapse11. Thanks and take care. Thank you.